0: Welcome to the Analysis Podcast, I'm Paul Jay. Thirty-eight years ago, a massive rally against nuclear weapons took place in Manhattan. The New York Times reported on June 13, 1982, that hundreds of thousands of peaceful demonstrators opposed to nuclear arms overwhelmed Central Park in Midtown Manhattan yesterday, filling the streets and groves with echoing songs and hopeful slogans. The demonstration was far larger than any during the anti-war movement of the late 1960s and early 70s and was possibly the largest ever in the city. The organizers said it was the biggest disarmament gathering in the nation's history. Late in the afternoon, a police department spokesman said there might be as many as 600 or 700,000 people around the park. Many of the dozens of speakers during the day urged the participants to continue the movement when they returned to their homes. Quote, We shall not suffer silently the threat of nuclear holocaust, said City Council President Carol Bellamy, who addressed the crowd near the United Nations. That was a report from the New York Times from June 13, 1982. Other reports said there might have been a million people at the march. Why highlight this march now, during a pandemic that is killing tens of thousands of people around the world? Because the anti-scientific pandemic denial that exacerbated the current situation, the anti-scientific climate change denial that threatens human civilization, is also at work with the denial of the threat of nuclear war that will likely end most life on Earth. The 1982 march is an example of the kind of popular movement that is required now, but more so. We need a conscious movement that on a broad national scale demands urgent action in defense of the unemployed and for economic and racial justice, for immediate and profound action on climate change and concrete moves towards the reduction and eventual elimination of nuclear weapons. We may not be able to march for a while, But online and later in the streets and at the ballot box, such a popular movement will decide if we humans survive. Now joining me to analyze this most existential moment is Noam Chomsky. His latest book is Internationalism or Extinction.
1: Delighted to be with you.
0: So in in the early 80s, there is a massive movement focused on the issue of the threat, threat of nuclear war. That's your dog in the background, I guess, is it? Yeah. yeah, well, that's okay. Yeah. You can join the conversation. The threat of nuclear war, which, you know, in a sense, in the short term, is the biggest threat. It's not even being talked about. How do you explain how we go from massive protests in the, in the 80s on this to not even, be, not even part of the discourse?
1: We should, first of all, remember that, that uh, those huge demonstrations had an effect. A significant effect. Uh, one effect was that they're part important part of the background for the uh, 1987 uh, Reagan-Gorbachev uh, uh, agreement to establish the uh, INF Treaty uh, uh, which uh, sharply reduced the number of the threat of war in uh, in Europe, this is short-term missiles, where short-range missiles were banned, which were extremely dangerous. Uh, that gave us a kind of a respite uh, from a uh, very likely a terminal nuclear war. And, of course, as you know, this was just uh, dismantled by uh, President Trump in last August, who uh, thumbed his nose at the world in a still more spectacular way by immediately launching missiles, uh, which violated the treaty, essentially inviting others, please uh, create missiles to destroy us and give a big shot in the arm to the military industry, which of course loves it. Uh, Well, there wasn't, but you're right, this uh, severely declined and no matter how hard you try to bring it up, I do, you do, others do, it just doesn't make a dent. Uh, Somehow it's, for people, it just somehow feels too remote. Uh, They have immediate problems. Uh, How am I going to, I mean, uh, half the population in the United States is living essentially from paycheck to paycheck. Uh, They don't have a a couple hundred dollars to spare if anything goes wrong. Um, This is one of the uh, triumphs of the neoliberal uh, period, assault on the population that Reagan inaugurated. Uh, These people just don't have time to think about anything else. Uh, You remember in the Yellow Vest uh, uh, uprising in France a couple months ago, People are saying one of the, the slogans was, uh, you're worrying about the end of the world, we're entering, worrying about the end of the month. I um, mean, if people <laughs> are really in serious trouble, they just can't think anymore. That doesn't answer the question why privileged elites who are getting by fine, and some of them are uh, you know, robbing the bank like gangsters, why they don't think about it. And that's been very troubling, uh, not just to you and me, but to many others. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, William Perry, who, uh, former defense secretary, long, long many years, his uh, involvement in trying to deal with the, the nuclear war issues is in the government, out of it. Uh, he commented, he's now doubly terrified, terrified by the growing threat, which is very severe, and terrified because he can't seem to get anyone to pay attention to it. Uh, well, that's very serious. Especially yeah, it's, if we have a it's, president who is dedicated to destroying the last vestiges of arms control. The INF Treaty went down the tube last August. Uh, the Open Skies Treaty, initiated by Eisenhower, is on the chopping block uh, the cr- most crucial one, the New START treaty, uh, which limits the number of missiles uh, for the United States and Russia. Actually, for everyone, but they're the only ones who matter who uh, come even near the threshold. Uh, this is coming up for signing uh, in early in about a year, early twenty twenty one. The Russians have been pleading to uh, negotiate for an extension of it. Trump administration refuses to talk about it, which presumably means they're going to kill it if he's re-elected. That ends it. Then there's no arms control structure any longer. If you look at the record over the past 70 years, 75 years, it's, uh, it's, kind of, it's just a miracle that we've survived. We've come very close to terminal nuclear war Over and over, the threat's growing, Uh, the arms control system that has reduced the threat has been is being dismantled by our government which seems to be bent on killing as many people as it can. The latest step was defunding the World Health Organization which will have exactly that effect. Uh, They don't care and the population just seems uh, Resistant to seeing what's before their eyes.
0: People that are condemning Trump for pandemic and climate crisis denial. What about the denial of the threat of nuclear war? It seems to be the the majority of the intelligentsia, even the progressive intelligentsia, do not say a word about it. And then you get to uh, someone like Barack Obama, who early on in his presidency talked about the uh, elimination of nuclear weapons. In fact, some people think that's part of the reason he got a Nobel Peace Prize early, practically before he'd done anything. But then he's the one that signs off on a budget for a trillion dollar investment in nuclear weapons. Yeah,
1: that's part of his uh, general posture was to, whether to, to pretend or to claim, I don't read his mind, that somehow he was making, he was accommodating with the political opposition and they would forge a joint policy. Of course, they were just laughing at him all the way. Mitch McConnell had made it very explicit, as soon as Obama was going to be elected, that his task as Senate Majority Leader was to block anything that Obama tried to do, and he succeeded in that quite well. But Obama went along with with the either pretense or claim. I don't know and what you just described as part of it. The excuse of the administration was that this is the only way they could get compromises on other things, which is, of course, perfect nonsense. Fulfill any of the rhetorical claims that brought him into power. Uh, He didn't do the worst things, but he certainly didn't do the things he could have done.
0: In Kaplan's book on the th- nuclear war threat, he says that Biden opposed that uh, investment and in, in, uh, modernization of the American nuclear arms uh, arsenal, um, didn't believe that it was necessary or that the Republicans would hold up any end of uh, any deals that were made. W- what expectations do you have for the uh, what might be the Biden presidency?
1: It's very hard to say. He seems... Uh... To have pretty much faded into the background. Uh, He doesn't say much. What he does say is pretty tepid. My impression is that uh, in a Biden presidency, the decisions would be made by the people around him, and he would be pretty much of an empty shell. Probably, at least I would hope, Susceptible to popular pressures, uh, there's no doubt whatsoever that he would be immensely better than the megalomaniac sociopath who's sitting in the White House now. But you could say that about the nearest lamppost. I mean, <laughs> would happen to be threatened by one of the worst characters in political history, and the highest priorities to get rid of him, or we're probably all toast. Biden, I suspect, would obviously be a greater improvement, a great improvement, but uh, whether what he would do, I think, would depend very largely on uh, the force of popular movement. Uh, Bernie Sanders, in his withdrawal speech, made a very important point which he emphasized it, and it should be repeatedly emphasized. He said, this campaign is ending, but the movement must continue. An electoral campaign is just one moment in an ongoing process. We're kind of trained uh, to believe that it's the the end-all. You just show up once every four years, and then you go home. That's a great way of inducing authoritarianism and passivity, but it's not the case. Uh, What happens on the quadrennial extravaganza is you take off a little time, push a lever, then go back to work on the hard important things, the kind of activism and pressures that you described at the beginning that were part of the background for the important nuclear deal are the kind that have recently uh, moved the Green New Deal, which something like that is essential for survival, moved it from way out in the margins to the center of the legislative agenda and many other cases. Uh, that has to continue constantly. Uh, if it doesn't, uh, there are there is a group in the society, uh, the business world, which is constantly, relentlessly fighting a bitter class war, doing it right now. They're preparing for the future right now. Uh, You know, the propaganda line is we can't pay attention to the climate crisis because the pandemic is much worse. The rich and powerful aren't listening to that. They're taking every opportunity they have to maximize the climate crisis. That's why the EPA before our eyes is canceling the regulations to increase profit and deaths and lead to and intensify the climate crisis. Uh, that's why President Trump, in his quite astonishing budget proposal in February, I'm sure you've looked at that, but it really should be highlighted. It's mid February. Uh, epidemic, already pandemic, is raging. Of course Trump is denying it. Now he claims it's the WHO's fault, but it was he who was denying it. You can see that clearly. Right in the middle of this he comes out with his budget. What does it call for? Increased defunding of the Center for Disease Control and other health-related parts of the government. He'd been defunding it since he got into office new budget in the middle of the pandemic is defunded further. But he didn't defund everything. For some things he called for an increase in funding, including subsidies to the fossil fuel industry. I mean, these guys are really relentless. They never stop. And if we let them go on without opposition, they'll win. And we'll all suffer badly. In fact, human survival's at stake.
0: You said earlier that you don't quite understand why the elites don't get this, uh, whether it's pandemic, whether it's climate or nuclear. These are threats to their own system, and they don't seem, there doesn't seem to be a force within capital, within the elites, that would rise the way F- an FDR did in the 30s. That has, even in the defense of capitalism, has a far, more far-sighted, more rational approach. The, the, the narrow, short frame of the pursuit of profit is going to destroy their own system, and, and don't they know that? Sure.
1: When uh, the main, let's take uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, America's biggest bank, uh, Jamie Dimon knows. Everything relevant, the CEO knows everything relevant about climate change and nuclear war. But he has a job maximize profits tomorrow. Okay, that's what his huge salary depends on, his bonuses, it's what his shareholder wants, it's what the ideology is. Remember that uh, there was a time, it's called regimented capitalism, basically from Roosevelt pretty much up to Reagan in which there actually were serious efforts on the part of the government and even on the part of some corporations to pay some attention to the long-term future. That changed sharply when the shift to neoliberalism began. Uh, The doctrine, I mean, announced by people like Milton Friedman, but of course they're not the ones who pushed it through, pushed through by corporate power and others with the Friedman, Hayek style ideology, which says that your only goal as a corporate manager is greed. Try to make as much money for yourself and your shareholders, all very wealthy, if you pay attention to anything else, you're undermining the foundations of civilization. Now this wasn't just, uh, don't pay attention to climate change and nuclear war, uh, Reagan did some things that are really right on the, in the headlines right now, but they've been going on for years. Like there's a lot of justified protest now about the stimulus bill, which gives, uh, I don't know the exact money. I think it's $50 billion to the airline industry, uh, which has spent the last 10 years in an orgy of buybacks to raise stock prices and interfere with the market and benefit management at uh, approximately the amount that's being given to them in the stimulus. Why are they allowed to rob the public like this, not only with stock buybacks, but with uh, uh, putting their money in an office in Bermuda and calling it and using a tax haven and so on? That's not small change. That's tens of trillions of dollars of robbery. We can thank Ronald Reagan and Milton Friedman and all the rest. Up until the Reagan administration, all of that was illegal, flatly illegal. And it was enforced. The Treasury Department enforced it and it wasn't happening. Reagan's, under the neoliberal doctrines uh, appealing to Friedman and the rest, uh, the idea was uh, you recall government is the problem uh, not the solution so get rid of government put all decisions in the hands of unaccountable private tyrannies whose purpose as whose purpose by uh, by in principle is to maximize uh, profit uh, market share for themselves to pay attention to nothing else so, open the door to stock buybacks, to uh, uh, tax havens, uh, any other means you can think of to rob the public, uh, don't pay attention to anything that's happening uh, a year down the road if you can maximize profit tomorrow. Uh, All of this follows. It's had a devastating effect. That's one of the reasons why half the population is living from paycheck to paycheck. Uh, I don't have to tell you that wealth has enormously concentrated and uh, for the general population it's been stagnation. Uh, you know, the, the GDP increases, productivity increases, but the population stagnates. It's part of the background for the anger and resentment, uh, bitterness that's spreading, not just over the United States, but over much of the world.
0: In the webcam that Biden did with Sanders, uh, Biden says he wants his presidency to be the most progressive since Roosevelt. What do you think are the possibilities or conditions for that? And clearly that doesn't happen without a mass movement on a, on a scale, perhaps more than there was in the 1960s. What's been holding back that kind of mass movement?
1: Well, first of all, I think it is taking place that we should recognize that a lot of things have happened, much of it under the, uh, within the framework of uh, Bernie Sanders' inspiration. Uh, He achieved enormous successes. He just shifted the uh, agenda of uh, discourse and policy well to the left. Uh, Things that are right in the center of attention now you couldn't even talk of a couple of years ago. So let's take again, say, the Green New Deal. Very significant. In one form or another, it's absolutely essential for survival. A couple of years ago, it was either ridiculed or ignored. Now, it is the center of the agenda. The Republicans, of course, want to kill it. Business wants to kill it, but it's alive and well. Why? Well, we know why. There was a lot of dedicated activism finally led to the point where the Sunrise Movement uh, activists uh, started even sitting in in congressional offices. Uh, They were supported by some of the young uh, representatives uh, elected in 2018, again with a lot of pressure from the Sanders movement, especially uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who welcomed them, supported them, Ed Markey, senator from Massachusetts, who's been interested in this issue, joined, uh, moved to the legislative agenda. Uh, we have to recall again Sanders' words. This particular campaign may be terminated, but the movement must go on, uh, uh, brought together things that already existed, like Black Lives Matter uh, occupy uh, uh, the uh, Environmental movements, the ones who carried out that great campaign strike uh, 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 protest, the climate protest last uh, uh, October, shutting down. Uh, it was in large parts of the world, not on here too, Extinction Rebellion. Uh, all of these things are there. They kind of coalesced more or less under the framework of uh, the Sanders inspired movements, and they have to go on. If they go on, they can make a big difference.
0: You mentioned earlier about concentration of ownership. And I think we're in a new stage, new phase of concentration of ownership where these massive asset manager financial institutions, BlackRock, Vanguard, to a slightly lesser extent, State Street. Uh, According to Bloomberg, the three of them have $14 trillion under management. They vote those shares, which gives the three of them essentially control of about 90% of the S&P 500. Uh, Bloomberg uh, News uh, is projecting that by 2030, they will have $20 trillion under management. Two or three companies essentially controlling most of the corporate world, not just of, of the United States. The counter to that, if you, if you go back to Biden's claim wanting to be the most progressive government since Roosevelt, you go back to what Roosevelt said about that kind of concentration of ownership. He said, if there's monopolization in a sector that's critical to the society, then you have to turn these things into public utilities, either highly regulated private, or if you can't do that, public ownership is it not time to start having this kind of conversation? Because I have to say, even in the Sanders campaign, there's very, very little of that. And and the sector that needs to be regulated as a public utility and or serious public ownership of at least a portion of it would be finance because BlackRock and Vanguard don't just own banking. They own the nuclear arms industry. If you look at the 18 companies that make nuclear arms, The majority shareholders, I should say, in terms of voting shares, are BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street again. Of course, they own just about everything else as well. So what I'm I'm asking, shouldn't we start having this conversation about public ownership uh, alongside one of democratization? Oh,
1: absolutely. We should also take a little look back at history. Take a look at pre-Reagan history, the period what's called regimented capitalism, basically from Roseville uh, up th- up through the 70s, beginning to uh, erode in the 70s, given a body blow by Reagan. Uh, one of the first things he had to do was bail out a major bank. His term ended with the, uh, uh, the massive uh, real estate uh, uh, collapse. It goes on and on through Clinton and on through the this millennium, Uh, uh, and now we're right in the middle of another one. The same corporations that have been on a feeding frenzy of stock buybacks, uh, raising increasing wealth and management profits, are now back to the nanny state, pleading to be bailed out. And interestingly, being bailed out, as we learned today, with uh, treasury notes signed by Donald Trump as part of his election campaign. Uh, What we see here is a confluence of a number of factors. One is the inherently destructive character of capitalism. It's a suicidal institution. Now that can be controlled. The regimented capitalism through the 50s and 60s, it did pretty well control it. Then comes the second thing the neoliberal assault, which eliminates the possibility of controlling the monster. Then on top of that, you get a a megalomaniac sociopath holding power, surrounded by sycophants, a head of a political party which is too cowardly and has lost even the slightest element of integrity, so all they can do is lick his boots. You have a huge echo chamber, Fox News. Uh, Trump says, 2 plus 2 equals 5. An hour later, Sean Hannity says, that's the greatest discovery in the history of the human race. Then uh, Trump turns to Fox on Friends the next morning, repeats what he said there. I mean, this structure that's developed is a Kind of a hydra that's destroying us from many directions. Mm -hmm. Democrats are essentially doing nothing except helping. So, um, take, say, their dedication of all their efforts to an impeachment trial. It was transparent at the beginning that this was going to end up in a victory for Trump. It was almost impossible for anything else to happen. Uh, The issue that was raised didn't mean much to most of the population, why should it? So, the president, who's a certified gangster, we all know that, was putting pressure on some other country to harm a leading figure in the Democratic Party. Okay, probably impeachable technically, but nobody cares. And it was going to end up with uh, with the Senate, which is in Trump's pocket, Uh, anyway, uh, blocking the impeachment. So a great victory. Uh, The Tribune of the People uh, was saved from the attack by the deep state uh, trying to destroy him. Let's all cheer. I mean that's what they're devoting their attention to. Not his climate policies, which are murderous, will literally lead to the end of organized human life. Not his opening the doors to nuclear destruction. And not even his steps to destroy democracy, which are pretty astonishing. No, we'll worry about did he pressure some country that nobody ever heard of to harm Joseph Biden. Okay. Right. I mean, as if they're working for him, uh, case after case. Uh, this, and The only way out of this is essentially Sanders' advice. The movement has to keep going. The immediate necessity is to get rid of the malignancy in the White House. We don't do that, and nothing else is going to matter.
0: Don't you think that the idea of regulated capitalism, which is more or less what Warren is proposing, going back to uh, Bernie too, really, hasn't that horse left the barn? Uh, This turn towards neoliberalism wasn't because they won an ideological argument, I don't think. I think the digital revolution, computerization, it created the ability to have globalization on such a different scale to play the workers of China off against the workers of, of Europe and America the idea of these fancy derivative products and and the the enormous expansion of uh, Wall Street and speculation, you couldn't do that with a pencil and paper. The digital revolution unleashed this enormous strength to the financial sector and, and enormous new productivity and profits going to this tiny 1%, and the political power that goes with that. I mean, is the pandemic now showing us that one way or the other, this society is being moved towards some kind of form of socialism. And, I, and that does, shouldn't we start talking about that more than, uh, honestly, well, as much as important as Medicare for all is, um, the concept of Medicare for all, uh, you know, a government health insurance plan, we have to look at that in other sectors of the economy. Otherwise, I, I, I think we're doomed.
1: Yeah. First of all, the digital revolution could be used for this purpose. Could be used to break the whole system down. Right, depends how you how you use it. Technology doesn't care. Just as just as uh, amenable to one use as another. Now it's not just uh, the mono- there are steps that can be taken right away. Uh, not just for to diminish or even eliminate the scale of the financial institutions, break up the banks, uh, have a national bank, uh, all of this is feasible. But what about the fossil fuel industry? Why shouldn't that be simply bought up by the government right. and basically move to put it out of business? And that's feasible.
0: Yeah, In fact, add, 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 add to that, what would U.S. foreign policy be if, if the government bought up and made public Raytheon and, and Boeing and Lockheed Martin take the profit motive out of war? Well,
1: it depends what kind of government you had and who runs it. Yeah. I mean is the government going to be run by the same corporate leaders who run it now, or will it turn into a democratic government? There is a way for that sounds kind of utopian, but it is possible. For the United States to turn into a democracy, okay? If it does, then socialization of major industries could be a big step forward. It's not the end. A step right behind, beyond that, already to some limited extent taking place, is for not the government to own them, but for the uh, stakeholders to own them. The the workers in the enterprise, why don't they own them? Why don't they run the enterprise? Not the state. Break it up, turn it over to the people who work there. That's quite significant. So, let's take a real case. Uh, Suppose uh, there's a, you know, some manufacturing plant in Gary, Indiana, and the idea comes up of shifting it to uh, Mexico or China or Vietnam, who should make that decision? Should it be a bunch of bankers uh, sitting in New York and Chicago who own the, you know, who run the enterprise? Or should it be the people there, the workers in the plant and the community who decide what to do? Maybe in coordination with working people in Mexico and China, that's not impossible either. I may remember that uh, yeah. unions are all called internationals. Now, right now that sounds empty. It wasn't when it was instituted. These were going to be the international working class. The capitalist system is suicidal. We can't get around that. The question is, can it be controlled? And up until roughly Reagan, it was pretty much controlled then it just blew out of hand and you're getting the situation you have now.
0: No, I promised not to let this go on too long. So let me just ask you one final question. And I also hope we get to do this again sooner than later. Um, What what do you say to some of the young people, not only young people that are being very critical of Bernie Sanders right now for endorsing Biden, even some people that worked with him quite closely are, are critiquing him, what do you say to them?
1: I say, wait a couple of months and then start critiquing him. There is a crucial, urgent problem right ahead of us. Get rid of the malignancy in the White House. If you don't do that, nothing else is going to matter. Um, we've been talking about uh, climate, uh, global warming, which Trump is, of course, going to accelerate, maybe past tipping points nuclear war, which he's accelerating, which may wipe wipe us out. But there's a lot of other things going on. Uh, The real evil genius of this administration in many ways is Mitch McConnell. The White House may be a freak show, but Mitch McConnell is serious. He knows what he's doing. He's doing it very effectively. He's packing the courts with young, mostly unqualified or limited qualifications uh, ultra-right young jurists who are going to ensure that for the next generation or so, whatever the public wants, it'll be killed in favor of the reactionary ideologies that McConnell and those like him typify. Another four years of Trump, that may be beyond the level to control. That means whatever you're going to try to do will be shut down. Okay? We're facing a real crisis in November. This election is, without exaggeration, the most important in American or world history. If we don't, don't get by that, we're in deep trouble. Suppose we get, suppose Biden comes in. Okay, then comes the time to hold his feet to the fire. Uh, Sanders and popular pressures are probably going to make a mildly progressive Democratic Party program. Make them keep to it, make them go beyond it, by the kinds of public pressures that you opened our discussion by bringing up. uh, that brought us recently the Green New Deal proposals, many other things. Keep that happening. Follow Sanders' advice to get by this election, then turn to keeping the movement going and growing and expanding and becoming more militant and effective. That's the hope for the future. It can do all the things we're talking about, can break up the financial institutions, reduce them to being banks again, can take over the fossil fuel industry, socialize it, move to put it out of business, it can uh, socialize other institutions, put them in the hands of working people and communities. All of this is possible. Uh, none of it's you know in fact, the whole system that exists now is actually pretty fragile. It doesn't take much to dismantle it. I'll give you one last example. there we go. Uh, as you may have seen, a memo was leaked recently from JP. Morgan Chase, country's biggest bank. Uh, Economists and the bank put out a memo directed to investors, uh, leaked. It's very interesting. Uh, It points out that if we, that I'm quoting, the survival of humanity is at risk if we pursue our present course, including the lending policies of the bank. And then it says the bank is under reputational pressure to cut back on fossil fun- fuel funding. What's reputational pressure? and That's the peasants with the pitchforks banging on the doors. The same kind of thing that was in the background of Reagan signing the INF Treaty, a million other things. These are things we should remember. The future really is in the hands of energetic, engaged population if they take the opportunity. If they decide to sit it out then we're in deep trouble.
0: Thanks very much Noah. And thank you for joining us on the analysis.news podcast. I'd like to thank my friend and wonderful musician Slim Williams for allowing me to use his music on the analysis.news.